Good morning, EMU, and those joining us from the Harrisonburg community, as well as those from across the miles on Facebook Live. My name is Celeste Thomas, and I am the Director of Multicultural Student Services. Wikipedia shares that on October 8th, 2021, President Joe Biden signed a presidential proclamation declaring October 11th to be a national holiday. It began as a counter celebration held on the same day as the US federal holiday of Columbus Day, which honors Italian explorer Christopher Columbus. Many reject celebrating him saying that he represents, and I quote, the violent history of the colonization in the Western hemisphere. And that Columbus Day is a sanitization of covering up of Christopher Columbus's actions, such as enslaving Native Americans. Indigenous Peoples Day was instituted in Berkeley, California in 1992 to coincide with the 500th anniversary of the arrival of Columbus in the Americas on October 12, 1492. We welcome you to this place today to celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day. Our theme following Jesus in dismantling the doctrine of discovery in honor of our first brothers and sisters. We thank you for being the original founders of what is now the United States of America. We are forever grateful for all of your contributions to building the very foundation of this country. We are not celebrating indigenous people for being discovered, as we know that one cannot discover those who are already in existence. We thank you for being the original founders of what is now the United States of America and all of the sacrifices endured and enduring. So we come this morning speaking truth to power, asking forgiveness and seeking reconciliation for America's original sin. Good morning, and again, I'm Celeste Thomas, the Director of Multicultural Student Services. Following me, we will have our EMU Land Acknowledgement Statement by Rachel Lute. Following that, we will have the introdu introduction of our speaker by Ezriana Prelu. Thank you. Good morning, my name is Rachel Lute and I'm one of the few students that went on to the Navajo Nation cross-cultural this summer. And today I'll be reading you the land acknowledgement statement. Many centuries ago, perhaps too many to count, the mountains arose around us rose up and created the Shenandoah Valley, which soon became home to a lush and vibrant cacophony of waterways and living beings, and it was good. Many years later, groups of humans also made this valley their home, and groups whose descendants were later called Suwin, Monacan, Monahogue, Catawba, and Cherokee all used this land and its streams and rivers, 
mixing, cooperating, fighting, and intermingling while claiming it as fishing, hunting, and food gathering grounds. As late as the mid-1930s, members of the Catawba tribe set up camp in an open field just north of Harrisonburg for a few weeks. About four centuries ago, this land was again claimed, this time by peoples who believed that the land was open to them by God or that it was their divine right to subjugate all lands and peoples to their will alone, a false belief that still dominates today. Now as we gather here, let us with humility remember the long and rich history of this place and the shorter history of humanity upon it. Let us acknowledge the violence of land taken and used in such a way that indigenous groups could no longer thrive here. And let us choose to honor this land and the Black's Run and the larger Shenandoah River watersheds with the true belief that the earth and all things on it are for everyone and everything to share. Long ago, the, univ the universe and all that is within it was brought into being, and it was good. Truth-telling, justice, and reconciliation are needed to help us remember, redeem, and restore this goodness for all. Hello, I am Ezriana Prelo, and I will be introducing our speaker, Sarah Augustine. Sarah Augustine, who is a Pueblo descendant, is founder and co-chair of the Dismantling the Doctrine of Discovery Coalition and executive director of a dispute resolution center in central Washington state. She is also the co-founder of the Suriname Indigenous Health Fund, where she has advocated for vulnerable indigenous people since 2004. She has represented the interests of indigenous community partners to their own governments the Inter-American Development Bank, the United Nations, the Organization of American Studies, International Commission on Human Rights, the World Health Organization, and a host of other international actors, including corporate interest. She is a columnist for Anabaptist World and co-hosts the Doctrine of Discovery podcast with Sherry Hotstetter. She and her husband, Dan Peblo, and their son live in the Yakima Valley in Washington State. She's the author of this book, The Land is Not Empty, Following Jesus and Dismantling the Doctrine of Discovery. Thank you. Well, I don't, well, I don't, well, I don't, well, I don't, well, I don't. 
Drop the kids off and go party gets me mad So I pray, pray for peace to pray for change Keep on praying when everything stays the same And I pray for the pastors and all of the churches And those who cry night song following hearses I pray for you, pray for the sick and the poor Pray for the rich man who don't give to the Lord And I pray for wisdom and I pray for power And I pray we'll be ready in the final hour And I pray for those who keep judging ministry And I pray for my friends and my enemies Somebody help me up. Oh. Uh, Good morning. <clears throat> I want to begin this morning by acknowledging that I'm standing on the homeland of the Confeder Confederated Bands and Tribes of the Yakima Nation, the Yakima Reservation. This land and its waters have been cared for and defended by the Yakima people since time immemorial. It's a privilege to be with you this morning on Indigenous Peoples Day. I want to share with you this morning about how I became activated for Indigenous Peoples, the call that awakened me to advocate for my people and that drives me today. I come to you as an Indigenous woman, as an internally displaced person, and as a Christian who acknowledges the spirit of life all around me, burning in creation. So an elder called Mark McDonald told me this story of Moses. Are you guys familiar with that story and the burning bush? That um, the interpretation that I learned in Sunday school as a child was maybe not exactly right. That when, Ju when Moses encountered the burning bush, 
rather than the miracle being that a bush was burning and it wasn't burned up, maybe the miracle was instead that Moses was able to see the true nature of that bush, that creation is ongoing and burning in creation all around us. I describe myself as an internally displaced person. And what that means is that I have been separated from my land and my people in a diaspora like many indigenous peoples, displaced as a result of laws and policies in this nation that have sought to remove indigenous peoples from their lands permanently. I also wanna charge you this morning and ask you, what is it that calls you and how will you respond to that call? What is it that calls you and how will you respond to that call? I'm gonna share with you now the story of how I became called in my work to dismantle the doctrine of discovery. In 2004, I was privileged to be part of a research team working in the rainforest of Suriname, South America. As a staff social scientist, my job was to create guidelines for the team to interact with indigenous communities who were potentially impacted by contamination from gold mining. At first, this seemed like a reasonable and doable task review past research, create culturally appropriate methods, consult with indigenous communities in the process. Primarily women uh, came to community meetings and they brought their children with them as they discussed the life and death impacts of cyanide and mercury contamination, poisoned waters and watersheds that served as the sole sources of clean water and food for these communities. There were birth defects, stillbirths, premature death, they further discussed the impact of prospecting in their homes and lives, including forced relocation, intimidation, malnutrition, militarization of their traditional lands. Over and over again, I heard the same refrain, outsiders came in and took our lands and we have no homes, no food, no way to provide for our families. I felt it was not my place to become personally involved with these women and their children to do so would threaten my professional objectivity. And I was told this by my training, my mentors, my colleagues. The tension I felt internally was resolved for me when I met a woman called Dina. The day I met Dina, I had been in a small village in the rainforest, Kikimpawika, all day. The village is just north of the Amazonian region in the small country of Suriname. We had traveled by car and then by boat to get to the community of shacks covered by thatched roofs arranged around a central meeting area. My task was to monitor the conversation, take notes and observe. I sat in the community square on a wooden bench in the open air and in the heat and high humidity for more than eight hours, I listened to community members recount their experiences with the aid of a translator. Dina, an elder, recounted how her home and small garden had been bulldozed when she was in the capital city receiving treatment for diabetes. When she returned to her home, a fence had been erected around the land where she had lived with her neighbors. The village land had been granted as a concession to a business interest that planned to build an eco-resort where the village had stood. The whole community now lived in a cramped makeshift camp next to the fence. I was with a team of a half dozen people from the United States but Dina spoke directly to me, looking into my eyes the entire time. As she told her story, she stood up with dignity 
and despite her age and illness, pointed her finger at me. This is what I want to know, she said to me, stepping toward me. Are you going to fight with me? I was looking to my left and my right. Who on earth was she talking to? Didn't she know I'm a social scientist and a scholar? My commitment to the project was to write a report or at the most to find the appropriate non-governmental organization that would assist these people. What could I possibly do to write how she had been wronged? She continued to walk toward me. Well, she asked, are you going to fight with me? Are you gonna help me? The eyes of everyone in the square, including the people on my team, were fixed on me. What could I say? I looked at the translator and I looked at Dina and I said, okay, I'll try, I'll do my best. And she said to me, no, help us or go away. So I looked at her and I said, okay, I'll help you. That decision that I made in an instant has defined my life since. As a friend told me several years later, as I scoured the Mennonite world looking for people willing to go on a human rights delegation to Suriname, Dina had spoken my commissioning. I had received a divine call from an aging indigenous woman and would spend the next two decades trying to respond to that call. Well, what is the doctrine of discovery? I had never heard of it. I didn't learn about it in school. I didn't understand that it had anything to do with me. I discovered it advocating for the indigenous peoples in Suriname. The indigenous peoples I grew to know in Suriname do not have land rights because of the doctrine of discovery. Although resource extraction, including mining, badly contaminate the lands where they live, international mining companies have the right to extract resources that put toxins like mercury and cyanide in the water, soil, and ecosystem. Even sustainable economic activities like ecotourism have the ability to displace indigenous peoples from their land like Dina. The doctrine of discovery is a philosophical and legal framework dating to the 15th century that gave Christian governments moral and legal rights to invade and seize indigenous lands and dominate indigenous peoples. The patterns of oppression that continue to dispossess indigenous peoples of their lands today are found in numerous historical documents, such as papal bulls, royal charters, and US Supreme Court rulings as recently in 2005. That's right, in 2005, Ruth Bader Ginsburg wrote the majority opinion reinforcing the doctrine of discovery, which explicitly states in the United States that indigenous peoples do not have the right to their lands. Collectively, these and other concepts form a paradigm of domination that legitimates extractive industries that displace and destroy many indigenous peoples and other vulnerable communities, as well as harm the earth. In Luke chapter four, Jesus describes and says and states and claims his mandate. He says, the spirit of God is upon me to speak good news to the poor, to bring good news to the poor. Freedom for the oppressed, sight for the blind, release for captives, and acknowledgement of Jubilee. Jubilee, the idea of canceling debts, fallow 
um, rest for the land, an opportunity to redistribute wealth, um, change. As I have been working along Indigenous peoples, seeking to dismantle the doctrine of discovery, that mandate that Jesus has voiced is the thing that I follow. It hasn't been easy. When I began working alongside Indigenous peoples in Suriname originally, that was 17 years ago, I responded to a desperate request for help from one woman. Her situation and her insistence moved me from bystander to actor. I did not have any specific skills or training that prepared me to work in the arenas of international policy, international development, or human rights. How would I know what to do or where to go? I felt sure that there were qualified people somewhere who could help Dina. Yet all the individuals I approached and all of the institutions they represented refused to help. I didn't begin working on the Doctrine of Discovery until many years later when a woman named Maria asked for my help once again. Maria was a Bolivian woman who represented the indigenous desk at the World Council of Churches. She explained to me that the plight of my friends in Suriname is the same for indigenous peoples around the world. She asked me to write a theological response to the Doctrine of Discovery on behalf of the World Council of Churches because she was too sick to continue on with the work and because I was the only person who responded to her request for help. I did not have any specific skills or training to prepare me to do what she asked me. I'm not a theologian or a pastor. I've never worked for a religious institution, yet Maria would not let me go. She insisted that I could do what she asked because it was needed. Personally, my greatest liability is not hard-heartedness or even ignorance. It is my fear that I am not qualified, somehow not good enough to do this work. My impulse as a member of an individualist and technical society is to rely upon experts to declare a situation worthy of interest or concern. Who am I to declare that people in Suriname face human rights abuses that threaten their very existence? I'm not a diplomat. I'm not a human rights attorney or an expert of any kind. Let the Red Cross or a worthy relief organization determine what the facts are. Let someone who is qualified take action who would want me for an advocate? I'm an ordinary person. In 2014, an elder from the Mosquito people of Nicaragua contacted my husband and me asking for help to file a petition with the Organization of American States Inter-American Commission for Human Rights. The year before that, I had filed such a petition and confronted the state of Suriname and their government in Washington, D.C. in the Human Rights Court demanding justice for Dina and her people. So this Mosquito elder asked us to help him do the same. His people are displaced, militarized, harassed, and even killed in the current land rush on their homeland. By the time he asked us for help, we had spent over a decade working with communities in Suriname, and I had already created, uh, presented at a hearing for a human rights commission on behalf of the Wayana people. It felt impossible to consider working with another community in completely different region. Time and money were already stretched thin. My husband and I both work full time at jobs not related to this. Um, he's a farmer and I'm the director of a dispute resolution center. We recruit volunteers, interface with institutions, coordinate human rights testimony, 
and raise money late at night and on our days off. How could we entertain the request of yet another community? Yet this elder persisted. For nearly a year, he called, sent text messages and emails. He had nowhere else to turn. This is the point at which I turned to my own people to ask for help. And those people I'm talking about are you. Um, I'm here to ask you for help today, but also I turn to Mennonites across the, the country in the United States. How do I know when God is speaking to me? I hear God's voice most clearly in the person standing right in front of me asking for help. In 2014, together with Sherry Hostetler and Anita Amstutz, I established the Dismantling the Doctrine of Discovery Coalition, an Anabaptist community of faith. Since that time, our coalition has worked with indigenous peoples in Arizona, the Apache at Oak Flat, in North and South Dakota, the Lakotas at Standing Rock, in Suriname, South America, the Guayana and the Kalinya, in the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico, the Maya, in Nicaragua, the Miskitu. Indigenous children across the US, we defended in defense of the Indian Child Welfare Act, in 2019, we established a plank in the California Democratic Party platform to dismantle the doctrine of discovery. And in December 2018, four years after we began to work with the Mosquito, the Nicaragua Human Rights and Anti-Corruption Act was signed into law. This law conditions U.S. approval for loans from international financial institutions that will violate human rights of indigenous people in Nicaragua. This law which embeds an expectation that international human rights conventions are followed in order to qualify for, qualify for financial aid, creates precedent for future legislation tying international aid to protection for indigenous peoples. This legislation was successful during a time of political polarization, in part because of the Mennonites across the country who responded to our call to go to Washington DC and speak in defense of the Mosquito people with senators on the Committee for Foreign Relations. <clears throat> Since 2014, the coalition has also produced the play, We Own This Now, in collaboration with Ted and Company. We produced a documentary in the name of Christ, dismantling the doctrine of discovery <clears throat> and countless printed resources. In 2021, this year, we established the Repair Network, a coalition of congregations and institutions across the nation collaborating to dismantle the doctrine of discovery, including EMU. It is humbling to engage in work that is ambiguous. Many days I am afraid that I will fail <clears throat> or at least embarrass myself, yet I do not doubt the validity of my friends' call to justice, the voices of indigenous peoples around the globe. Nor do I question Jesus' example to stand with the powerless. Now I ask you, what's the call that you hear? Responding to a call is not about receiving some kind of a mystical vision or a voice from on high. It is responding to the needs of the people near you, the people right next to you who are asking for help when you have the opportunity uh, to step in and be part of that help. What is it that drives you? What is it that motivates you? How will you respond to the call? 
for justice on this earth. In these days when even the life, all life is threatened on earth as a result of climate change, as a result of the impacts of the systems of death, including resource extraction, contaminate the environments of human beings and the lives of animals and other, all life on the planet. How is it that you will respond? I wanna encourage you to consider joining the coalition to dismantle the doctrine of discovery um, alongside uh, folks at EMU that are already beginning to be part of the network, the repair network, those seeking repair for the injustices that have been done by the doctrine of discovery. I wanna close with a poem by Mary Oliver. Mary Oliver writes, who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean, the one who has flung herself out of the grass, the one who is eating sugar out of my hand, who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down, who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Thank you. Sarah, thank you for the challenge. Thank you for reminding us of the physical displacement of indigenous peoples. This land is not ours. Thank you for your passion, advocacy, and commitment to assist various indigenous communities to keep and reclaim that which belongs to them. And to everyone, just to reiterate her challenge. What is it that calls you, and how will you answer the call? At this time, I would like to give another round of applause to Sarah. And I would like to uh, acknowledge our team, our committee, uh, that has been working um, steadfastly to um, have our Indigenous Day be not only an Indigenous Day, but be a celebration um, of our Indigenous communities. On the faculty side, Tim Seidel, Kathy Evans, Nancy Heise, Andrew Suderman. On the staff side, Brian Martin Burkholder, myself, and our graduate assistants, Ezriana Prelu and Haley Halcom. Can we give everyone a hand for their hard work? <laughs> <laughs>